Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. Welcome in to this edition of the Tech Sideline Podcast, Hokies fans. On episode 194 of the Tech Sideline Podcast, we're going to look back at Virginia Tech's bounce-back win over Richmond to get to 3-1 and one on the season. We'll go through why the Hokies have struggled against some lower-level opponents over the last few years, Trey Turner's big day to help the Hokies to the win, and look at how the Hokies can use these next two weeks to get ready for Notre Dame. All of that and more on episode 194 of the Tech Sideline Podcast, which which starts right now. <laughs> we welcome you into episode 194 of the Tech Sideline Podcast, whether you're listening archived on Stitcher, SoundCloud, Amazon Music, Google Podcasts, or Apple Podcasts, or watching archived on YouTube, we welcome you in. If you are on YouTube, please like, comment, and subscribe. If you're watching live on YouTube, drop a comment or a question for Will and Chris, and we will get to those at the end of the podcast. As always, the Tech Sideline Podcast brought to you by the Southeast Regional Training Center. You can help bring Olympic hopeful athletes to Black and one of the fastest growing and best wrestling programs in the nation. You can go to southeastrtc.com to learn more and donate today. I'm your host, Jake Lyman. As always, usual crew on set, Will Stewart, our founder and general manager across the way. To my left, Chris Coleman, Tech Sidelines lead analyst and columnist. And behind the scenes, our greatest producer in the land, Malcolm Stewart. And in the fourth chair today, it is Nick Brown. He'll be helping out with some of the YouTube questions and also looking at Justin Fuente, who is going to be taking the podium in just about an hour for his weekly press conference. Well, guys, Hokies got a win on Saturday. Maybe not as big yes, as, they do. as many people would have <laughs> hoped for, but uh, how was your weekend, guys? Uh, Mine was, was okay. Mine was good. I actually, I, uh, at the end of the game, I was like, normally I just go home and listen to the post-game radio and start to work on a column <laughs> and at the end of that game i was like you know what i don't want to write about this game i gotta today. go out <laughs> i don't i don't think anybody <laughs> i don't think anybody wants to read about it today either so i decided to go downtown and watch college football all afternoon and and deep into the night and I've, i haven't done that in you know two years obviously yeah chris is less of a college football fan than he used to be because uh, i mean well last year oh, you know you, you, well last year you couldn't go to games so, so, I mean, I would just sit there and write my columns on Saturday after games. And at the beginning of this year, I just I kept up doing that. Yeah. And, in started, all seriousness, last year with no fans, part of what makes me able to get into games where I don't have a rooting interest, mm-hmm. like some random Big 12 game or whatever, is how, how hype is the atmosphere. Sure. You know? And I, I remember baseball season last year. They only played a 60-game season, and they didn't start until July. And I watched opening day, and I'm just like – I couldn't watch it anymore after that. I didn't even watch the playoffs. Yeah, it's just terrible. And, and, and the Braves went to the NLCS, yeah. and I still didn't watch. And guess what? Guess how many baseball games I've watched this year? Less than 10. Hmm. Fewer than wow. 10. And I used to watch every game. So that's what last year did. It just took all my emotions away, and I just haven't been able to get back into it. 
And uh, but I did enjoy watching the games on Saturday and uh, watch some good ones. You know, I watched there NC a lot State of good games. and Clemson. Yeah, I, I got home because I wanted to see NC State and Clemson and see what happened there. Because if if you you know pinned me down, I would have said NC State's going to win that thing. Clemson yeah. was ten and a half point favorites. Yeah, and I was sitting there talking to a couple of people. He might have been one of them. I don't remember. And saying. There's no way Clemson can beat anybody by 11 points right now. Their offense. Well, oh, they're good they're enough. favored by 15 over Boston College, and the response on Twitter was Clemson's going to score 15. Right. <laughs> you know, touche. Yeah. It, I mean, it was a great game. NC State probably should have won it in regulation too. Missed a field goal, but yeah. they, they got it. Yeah. There was three field goals. Uh, well, yeah. missed a field goal at the very yeah. end that would have won it. Um, they've they've had field goal issues against Clemson in the past. I remember, I think it was 2016 when they missed a late field goal mm-hmm. that would have beaten Clemson. Um, yep. I remember watching that game because I was in Williamsburg for a wedding, and the wedding had been on Friday. And so a buddy and I, we went out to watch Virginia Tech and Syracuse in 2015 at a bar. And we also watched you know, before the, the Tech game that Clemson and NC State game. So I, wow. I remember that going down to the wire and remember it being a field goal. Um, I watched the end of the Notre Dame game. Which was a, uh, I saw the pick six fest. So yeah, if if, if you're thinking Notre Dame blew up on offense because they scored 41 points, no, they no. had like 240 yards of offense. That was like a 2008 Virginia Tech game. Yeah, yeah, Graham Mertz for Wisconsin had a rough day. It was a rough day. A rough day. And when you know, Notre Dame, we'll we'll talk more about them when we preview that game next week. Uh, their defense has gotten steadily better statistically throughout the year, but at the same time. That Wisconsin offense has really struggled. I mean, they only scored 10 that first week against Michigan. I, uh, they I don't have a dominant running game like they normally do. It's shocking to say Wisconsin's not very good at running the football, but it doesn't look like they are. I, I looked up, not not a not an advanced stat, but when I was just going through NCAA offensive stats, and I don't remember which one it was I looked up, and, and Wisconsin was down near the bottom out of 130 FBS wow. teams. That might be scoring. Yeah. I don't remember what it was, but I just remember going, wow, Wisconsin's that bad on offense. Yeah. When did yeah. that happen? Well, you know. Point being out of all of this is every single football game I watched on Saturday featured horrible offensive football play. Yeah, The one some, I saw some in person some and, and the person. ones I've watched on television. <laughs> well, Notre Dame's got another big game coming up before the Hokies. They play Cincinnati, Cincinnati. this week, yeah. top 10 matchup, so yeah. that should be a good one. But you bring up the Hokies, and again, it's a win. A win is a win. You get out there with a victory, but 21-10, to 10, I think – People probably expected a little bit more from the Hokies against Richmond on Saturday. Yeah, um, so I, I have several mottos that I pull out from time to time. One of them is better living through automobiles. That's not really a motto. And one of them is winning beats the heck out of losing, you know, no matter what it looks like. Um, but I, I discovered when I got home that I just didn't recall a whole lot about the game. And, and it's not because I tailgated too much. It just kind of kind of quit watching after a while I, I i lost focus when the offense started struggling and wound up talking to some people in the stands and things like that and and the same thing happened when i tried to watch it um last night so uh so a weird thing happened yesterday i, I pulled up the game on dvr I'm, I'm a dish network subscriber so i pulled the game up on dvr and i watched tech's opening drive and this is like early in the morning before we go to church so I stopped the DVR and I accidentally deleted my copy of the game. Oh, what a shame. That's no biggie. They put it over into trash. So I go, dink, 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 over into trash, and it's not there. So so you couldn't watch it? I couldn't watch oh, it. Oh, it's, no. it's on ESPN. <laughs> but I, 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 did, I, I didn't even have to check for streaming options. I found 
the entire game on YouTube, okay. uh, like a like a two hour thing. And I and I believe that honestly, I didn't even look to see what account posted it. But I believe that the guy who posted it was doing things with the speed of the video so it wouldn't get, get, get sniffed out yeah. by YouTube. Mm. So anyway, I did watch that. And honestly, like halfway through the third quarter, I started looking at the boards and and just looking at my phone. And same thing I did in the uh, in, in Lane Stadium. Just didn't really watch like the last quarter or so. I don't have a point here. I'm just talking. Well, and, and I think <laughs> – the main thing when you look at this game is the game was never really in doubt. I don't think there right. was ever a point where Hokies fans were worried they were going to lose to Richmond. Right. So but, it kind of reminded me of when I was a student and we used to play these games. Now, this isn't right to say because Richmond rolled in in 1985 and actually beat us in Lane <laughs> Stadium. But it kind of had that vibe to it. The stadium wasn't full. Everybody was talking, having fun. The entire student section left at halftime. Kind of knew Tech was going to win, you know, sort of paid attention. It, it very much felt like a mid-'80s vibe. Aaron McFarling said it felt like a spring game. I thought it felt like a game in the mid-'80s. Yeah. Uh, there's just – I think Lane Stadium for big games still has absolutely one of the best atmospheres in the country. But I think for normal, average football games, it's just a whole lot of people sitting on their hands and not making any noise. And it's honestly not all that fun. Uh, you know, unless the team goes out and dominates, and then it's fun. Yeah, um, unless they make big plays. It's, and it's like just that. A, it's a significant difference in an atmosphere between a Richmond game and a UNC game. A noon Richmond game. A noon Richmond game. Yeah. And I remember when I was a student, it wasn't necessarily that way. I mean, yes, your bigger games were more hype, but like I remember like be, it being a great atmosphere for like the noon game against Syracuse in two thousand three. You know, and that wouldn't be the case these days. You know. 10,000 people would be late getting into the stadium. Uh, the student section would clear out at halftime. Uh, the south end zone would be 50% empty. The corners would be empty. Uh, so it's I think for your average game these days, the atmosphere level has dropped, but your big game atmosphere is still very strong. So counterpoint um, to play uh, uh, Lou Holtz to your Mark May. Um, if I, I, how, how long has it been since those guys were on together? Lot, most people watching time. this podcast probably don't. Right, <laughs> right. Most people, a lot of people watching the podcast are like, who? Yeah. Um, I remember in 1997 when Miami of Ohio came in and beat Tech. Mm-hmm. Um, that season started off with a, a night game against Syracuse. Yes. It, hey, that, uh, the yeah. Tech won 31-3. That was the first home game. Yeah. First game was at Rutgers. Right. So the first yeah. home game was that Syracuse mm-hmm. game, you know, Real hype, big big game, mm-hmm. and I don't know if any games happened between that and Miami of Ohio. But I remember being mm-hmm. at the Miami of Ohio game, and the crowd was sparse. Yeah, but that was pre nineteen ninety nine. Sure, I'm just kind of yeah. talking right now, telling a story, and because it was the first time I really locked into this sort of thing. Right. Um, it was it was very much a casual crowd. There were a lot of fans there that you wouldn't see at an ordinary game because mm-hmm. they'd gotten. Cheap, cheap tickets or tickets yeah. given to them. So the edge just goes off. There's been different people around me for every game this year. Yeah, like the guys I was talking to in the stands, I was like, "Do you, are these your season tickets? They're like, no. I've, I, I don't recognize anybody that's sat to my right, left, in front of me, or behind me for yeah. all three games this year. It's been an entirely different set of people. Wow. Um, but, yeah, I think that's, that's maybe kind of my point is we've gone back to pre-99 levels when it comes to crowds in Lane Stadium. I think interesting and I think it from a student perspective I I kind of agree with that I think the students just didn't really care as much about this game it was a noon game against Richmond Notre Dame coming up 
people just weren't all that excited for this one, and yeah. they didn't really put the product on the field. That, uh, they didn't. Uh, it was interesting. Like you think everybody talks about fast starts and everything, and Tech has had a fast start in two games, and they haven't had a fast start in the other two games. Uh, and this is a game where they had a fast start, man. First three plays were first downs. Yeah. And they go right down and score. And you're like, whoa, we came to play it. Hey, we're going to blow these dudes' doors off. They get a stop. They make another play. Right, you know, right. They're moving the football. And you think they're going to score again, and then they don't. And then it just bogs down from there. And then the second dri- or second half, again, first drive, they go down the field and score a touchdown. And you're like, okay, we didn't play well in the first half, but we're about to pour it on. Going to pull a Middle Tennessee on them, yeah, score yeah, three away, touchdowns, run and away. And then it just didn't happen. Mm-hmm. And I think – this, this it's something different every week you know against West Virginia it was honestly what wasn't a bad offensive performance considering how good West Virginia's defense can we say now can we all admit that West Virginia has an elite defense Chris is banging that drum man I mean he wants I mean I know uh, tech fans do not want to say that about West Virginia but they have absolutely one of the best defenses in the country I mean they held Oklahoma to 16, 16 points. points right right and Oklahoma had 91 yards of offense in the first half I mean, that West Virginia defense is the best defense by far that Virginia Tech will face this year. Um, Tech actually did well against them, considering their level. That's the the best offensive football game Tech has played this year, considering the level of competition of defense they faced and the fact that it was on the road. Certainly Um, that UNC game was not. So Tech moved the the football against West Virginia, but when they got into the red zone, they couldn't score. 0% scoring percentage in the red zone. Now, a 100% scoring effort in the red zone against Richmond. The only problem is they didn't move the football anywhere else on the field all that much. They couldn't get into the red zone. So, one week it's a fast start. One week it's a slow start. One week it's red zone issues. The the other issue is getting to the red zone. The other game is getting into the red zone to begin with. So, like, it's not one thing you can point to each game saying this is the problem. And it's the same thing on a play-by-play basis. It's one play Braxton Burmeister overthrows somebody. The next play... The offensive line doesn't block. The next play, Caleb Smith drops a third down pass right at the sticks. The next play, Kashawn King cuts right to the outside and loses two yards when he should have cut to the inside and where he could have gained four. Right. Um, the next play, Raheem Blackshear misses a blitz pickup and Burmeister gets sacked. And so it's it's again, you can't point to one thing or one person and say that's the issue. Yep. Um, there's, so they're like, there's not a magic fix button that you can push to fix this offense. It's it's something everybody has to do better. Everybody involved in the whole process has to do better. Well, and we talked about this, how the Hokies over the last couple of years, it seems like they've been playing down to these lower-level opponents. I mean, you look at Furman, had an 11-point lead at halftime two years ago. <laughs> Rhode Island was decently close a couple of years ago, and obviously Old Dominion took out Virginia Tech. Do you think it's a talent thing that the Hokies just don't have the talent to blow the doors off these teams? Or do you think it's just maybe a lack of focus against some of the teams they feel like they can just go out and beat? I do think uh, Tech does lack big playmakers. And when you lack big playmakers, even against an FCS team, as long as it's a well-coached FCS team or a fairly competent FCS team, if you don't have playmakers, you can struggle even, even, even to put those games away. And, and, or at least blow them out to the extent that most people expect you would uh, blow them out. Um, you know, I, I think if you have Kula Herbert, Isaiah Ford, you blow them out, yeah. right? But uh, Kula Herbert's returning kicks for the Chicago Bears and and should probably be getting more carries for the Chicago Bears <laughs> considering what everybody else is doing there. Mm. But, uh, 
Yeah, I think, I, but I also do think there is an issue with uh, inconsistent focus, maybe. Now, granted, this is a fam familiarity bias. Like, we watch our own team play every week. Yeah. So we think we have issues, and, and we do have issues, but we, we don't re also don't recognize the extent of other teams' issues. Like, how does Pitt go on the road and beat Tennessee and then go back home and lose to Western Michigan? Right. Yeah, so, so all that said, I do want to jump in and say that the, there were some plays made, like Tavion Robinson, yes, a nice punt there, there return. Were. Tra Trey, Trey, Trey Turner had a game. There, 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 were, there was certainly a consistent a consistent effort to get the ball in the receiver's hands yeah. more. This week, now, now Caleb like. Smith, I thought, had a chance to make a couple of really nice catches and couldn't quite hold well, that, the Well, that's the difference. Yeah. Um, you know, Tech's third wide receiver. I mean, Caleb Smith's been a great blocker, and I think he's a good – Solid, solid possession, possession receiver pursuit. where you're stationary and you catch the ball. Well, but, they've run him on slants too, where I've thought. It, yeah, and he's but, a big. But, he's, at any rate, he's not. He's not a big play guy, right? Um, and, I think that's fair, right? Yeah. So, and you know, t t when Tech was at their best in 2016, everybody, and I, Isaiah Ford said this on Twitter a couple weeks ago. Actually, after the West Virginia game, he was like, "Man, in 2016, our third option was Cam Phillips." Yeah, right. Cam Cam Phillips would easily be Virginia Tech's first option right now. Well, the following year he was, and the following year he was yeah. right, and he's Virginia Tech's all-time leading receiver. Um, so I, I think Caleb Smith, that is an issue. I mean, that's the play you want. That's man coverage, and you've got your wide receiver against an FCS defensive back, and he just he doesn't come down with the ball. Yeah, uh, and that's you've got to make those plays to blow out teams. Not to put this on Caleb Smith. It's not <laughs> Caleb Smith. No, but, but, but because, because he's one of the reasons. So if you go in and you edit that video, Jake's like, what do you think it is? And you what, what do you think the problem is? Caleb, 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 Caleb Smith. <laughs> uh, because he was oh, one man. of the reasons, you know, Virginia Tech was in the West Virginia game at the end of it. Yeah. But I'm just using that as an example to say that's, I mean, compare it to Tech's best offense under Fuente and Cornelson. I mean, Cam Phillips was the third option to a certain extent, I guess, on that team. Or, or you could say that Bucky Hodges was the third option, however you want to phrase it. But those top three options yeah, yeah. all were number one on this team, most right. likely. Yes. Uh, well, looking at the YouTube comments from last week, we know Caleb Smith's family does watch this podcast. <laughs> yes. So we yes. want to make sure we're saying that it is not Caleb Smith's fault. What we're saying there is like, that deep ball, if you can do it, should probably be thrown to Trey. Yes. And then a different type of pass thrown to Caleb Smith. You know yeah. what I'm saying? He, he's, <laughs> he's a good possession guy for, for Tech. As in, he showed against West Virginia. But I don't think he's the guy you throw deep balls to. Well, yeah. big big play Trey finally lived up to his name on Saturday. What a catch for the touchdown nice, to nice start off work. the game. I don't know really how nice he got that work. foot in. Yeah. That's a sort of an example of like the inconsistency of Tech's offense. Like. Like the play before that, Braxton Burmeister almost threw the ball through the uprights. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and then the next play, he threw an absolute dart into a tight window where only Trey Turner could catch the right. ball. Yep. And he, and he pin, he like he talked about it after the game. He's like, well, the line doesn't move, so you got to know where the line is, and then you got to move yourself according to the line, right. which I think is a great way yeah. to describe yeah. it. Yeah, and that was a, that and was a he, great. He knew with his momentum that he couldn't get the right foot down, so he just did this with his legs and got the left foot down, which yeah. is and this that's natural, you know. Yeah, and it, like it was good to get Trey Turner and Tavion Robinson involved to that extent, and and it was clear through. You know, I, football coaches, generally speaking, and I assume Tech still does this, that they script their opening plays. I don't know. Tech, Steinspring used to script, what, like the first 10 to 15? 10 to 15, yeah, I think I remember being I, I don't know how many Cornelson scripts to start the game, but 
it seemed this week it really seemed like the script worked and after and then after that after they got off script uh things is when things bogged down well similar yeah. to the north carolina but, game right Right. The uh, script worked, and then after that, it yeah, kind of went off yeah, the rails. Yeah, you're exactly their, right. their entire first three possessions against UNC were good. They, right. they just, they they just fumbled on the middle. Yeah. Right, right. Yeah. Um, so, but I think part of the script, there did appear to be a concerted effort to get the wide receivers the, the football. So uh, they each had six catches, right? Yes. Nick, can you can you kind of look up uh, – I mean, I know if you drilled in into the stats, you can find game-by-game game game stats. Did like like the most number of catches either one of those guys had was something like four in any given game, right? That's probably right. Yeah. So, for, so those two guys to have twelve catches that that is a that's different. Uh, and and you can say, oh, it's it's FCS competition, which I do think that's some of it, of yeah. course. But I also thought there was a concerted effort from the opening to whistle to, to yeah. target them. Yeah. yeah. Well, and Trey Turner made that big play downfield, just going up and attacking the football. Do you think maybe this is kind of the game he needs to maybe get his confidence back up? It seems like he's kind of been. I don't think Trey lacks. For I don't confidence. think Trey well, lacks. For confidence. <laughs> it seems like he's been a lesser part of the game plan yeah. early in the season. Yeah. Maybe this can be the game that kind of pushes him back up to that. I hope so because option. you know you, you do need you need guys to make plays like that. Like every quarterback needs help, and uh, you know Gerard Evans is not Gerard Evans without. Isaiah Ford going up over two Boston College defenders in the back of the end zone and coming down with that football that, quite <laughs> frankly, probably never should have been thrown. Or the right? entire pit game. Yeah, right. That year. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. You know, so you, you you need guys to go up and beat defensive backs in one-on-one situations. And and Trey has proven through the years that where he's that he's out of our, all our current receivers, he's your best option yeah. to do that. Yeah. He is also dropping merch this week. Big play, uh, Trey merch sign on the NIL. Barno dropped his merch yeah. this week. I Looks think. Good. By the way, Caleb Smith had six catches versus West Virginia That's for right. fifty-eight yards. Yep. But everybody else since then has only had four max. Right. So two so, other than that, six yeah. catch receivers, right. pretty solid. So deal. one last week and two this week. Yeah. Yeah. yeah so they they are trying to target the wide receivers more. I think, and some of that's by necessity. You know, losing James Mitchell. Um, who was obviously going to be a big part of the offense this year. But uh, you could see it out there. I mean, they had a lot, ran a lot of three wide receiver formations. They actually at one point ran a five wide receiver set. Now, granted, two of the wide receivers were tight ends, but there was no running back in the game. It was shotgun formation, five linemen, five receivers. And that was actually ended up being, uh, I think they sent either Julius or Gallo in motion from the outside to the inside, and he blocked down, and that was a Burmeister design run to the left yeah. that went for a fairly big gain. So that, so that was a look they haven't used this year. So they're trying to come up with different things with the loss of, of Mitchell. Um, they're just not firing on all cylinders yeah. right now. So, so do you guys – I thought they were doing well early in the game, and do you, do you guys remember the play where it suddenly just went wah, wah, wah? Uh, I think when uh, the connection – with Julius downfield yep. on the wheel route was incomplete. That was and, it. You know, my uh, uh, when you're in the stadium and you see a quarterback start to throw the deep ball, you can tell the direction he's going. Your eyes, they automatically start wandering downfield to that receiver. And so my eyes wandered downfield to Julius, and I thought about the 30 to 35-yard line. He kind of hesitated. And he was still running, but he was kind of running in place so to speak. And I think if he had just kept running at full speed, he would have been hit in stride and, and scored a touchdown. Yeah. Um, now, I think he's slowing up because he was expecting an underthrow maybe. 
But uh, but it's just another. It doesn't matter whose fault that is. It's just another example of things not firing on all cylinders. And yeah. yes, that that was the play to me, where it all started going downhill. It if did. that pass gets connected, it's fourteen to nothing, and everybody's feeling great. What a what a fast yeah. start. And we don't know what would have happened after that. Maybe it would have bogged down after that too. But it definitely did. Uh, yeah. It did. And the Hokies finally got a spark. Tavion Robinson finally broke through in the punt return game. I think it felt like that was coming at some point. He, he was so close to breaking a few, he finally yeah, got one in the end zone. Finally got one. Uh, he had a good return later that was called back for holding. Yep. Too. Yeah, so he would be way up in the national rankings if that one had stood. Yep. Yes, Nick? Well, so he's 12th nationally in right. punt return yards, 15 uh, per punt return, and he's number one in the ACC and he is the only punt returner in the ACC with a touchdown this season, the first right. four so games. So, Tavion is back. So, if he'd gotten to keep that one return, he'd be oh, he yeah, top yeah. ten. Yeah, no doubt. Um, so, I, that's that's key. Like Virginia Tech, it's clear at this point that they're going to have to scrap and claw every game this year. Yeah. Um, they could win six games. They can win eight or nine games. I mean, most of their games are going to be close and down to the wire and things like that. So you never know when a key play, special teams play will be the difference in a game for you. And with the exception of field goal kicking, Tech special teams have been awesome this year. They've covered really well and they've returned really well. You've seen big you've seen big kickoff returns, you've seen big punt returns, and nobody's been able to sniff a big return against the Hokies. So they are winning the hidden yardage game. So they're doing all the little things that they need to do when you have a struggling offense to still win football games. Um, you just wish the offense would get a little more efficient to go on top of that. Yeah. So we've got I got I got to try to remember to put this on Twitter. Our, our photographer got some good pictures of that uh, Tavion Robinson punt return. Tavion's basically running towards Ivan Morozov, our our photographer, during that whole sequence, and and Tavion's just kind of just looking mellow, just running, and Caleb Smith is running along behind him in the side of the frame with a smile on his face. And then there's some guy for Richmond, number 36, who looks like he's just straining so hard. He looks like I would look if I was trying to catch Tavion Robinson. That <laughs> might have been their punter. They well, the punter. God, their punter. punter had a rough day, man. Their coach oh my gosh. at him, like, what, at least twice. And uh, Oh, he went off on him. Yeah, I, I, that punter on the bus ride home sat as far away from the coach as, as he, he went off could. on him like Brian Kelly goes off on his quarterbacks. Man. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, what was interesting about the end of the Notre Dame game is I, I actually saw Brian Kelly smile for maybe the first time in my life as he broke Newt Rotney's record Why? for most wins. Oh, okay. Yeah, right. which I guess he kind of had. Which to. is kind of surprising to me. He's got 106 wins, which is the most all time at Notre Dame. So that means none of those legendary Notre Dame coaches stayed all that long. Yeah, yeah. Um, and, they didn't, and they didn't play any as many games back in the day. Yeah. as they do now. But uh, he did get a Gatorade bath and had a couple smiles. But yeah. it was mostly his coaches at the end of the game coming up and congratulating him on the sideline and not any of his players. Well, he didn't I offer to execute them, so it's yeah, the right yeah, direction. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, so I think he's he's one of those coaches. I think he's respected by his players but not loved, which is more important than being liked but not respected. I think he's a good coach. That's a that's, he's a great. That's coach. a tough place to win. I think he's a very good coach. Um, I think he gets the most out of his talent level yeah. every year. Not not a big fan of his personality. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm kind of middle of the road. There are times I, where I think he's been a jerk, but I don't overall, know. It's it's you try don't judge a you try not to judge someone on their behavior on the sideline. I've had someone tell me before that Nick Saban is a lot of fun at weddings. Huh. Yeah, well, you wouldn't guess it by his demeanor on the sideline, right? Yeah, or in press conferences or anything. Yeah. Or, so, or some, really some, anything. Some people can just flip a switch when they're at work, and they're like a totally different person. Yeah. Uh, 
it's like almost Belichick like. I mean, right. his answer yesterday, I don't know if you saw it, uh, Mac Jones threw three interceptions and somebody asked Bill Belichick, what do you see on those interceptions from Mac? And he just kind of groaned for a couple seconds. He goes, probably the same thing you did. And <laughs> yeah. that was it. So <laughs> you never know. Um, well, and a big game for Notre Dame coming up. We mentioned Cincinnati. So that, I mean, they're still undefeated. So they're going to be busy mentally and physically the week before they play Virginia. Well, they yes. are. Yeah. Correct. Well, and they didn't look all that good early on the season. They almost got upset a few weeks ago. <laughs> they, they've, they've done what I thought they would do, though. They have gotten better because I think they're an extremely well-coached team, and they always have been. So the Notre Dame team that almost lost to Florida State, it's it's they're they're a better football team now than they were then. I don't know that they're better offensively because their offense is still struggling. Their quarterback got hurt on Saturday and they brought the backup in and he looked a little bit better. Yeah. So we'll see what they do there. Um, but just looking at the numbers, statistically speaking, the Tech Notre Dame game looks like it's going to be ugly, like one of those ugly, yeah, grinding games where field position and special teams and things like that matter. Well, Hokies defense looked good again on Saturday. Only gave up 10 points to Richmond, and seven of it came off an interception, giving a short field to the Spiders. We'll get into that in a little bit here. We're also going to look at these two weeks coming up before that Notre Dame game here on episode 194 of the Tech Sideline Podcast. We're going to take a quick break, and we'll be right back again. Talk about these next two weeks coming up. We're also going to look around the ACC, which looks pretty much wide open after Clemson's loss to NC State. So make sure you stay with us here on episode 194 of the Tech Sideline Podcast. We'll be right back. We welcome you back on episode 194 of the Tech Sideline Podcast, brought to you by the Southeast Regional Training Center. I'm Jake Lyman, your host, Will Stewart, Chris Coleman on set, Malcolm Stewart behind the scenes, and Nick Brown in our fourth chair. We thank you for joining us. We're currently recapping Virginia Tech's win over Richmond over the weekend. We're looking forward to two weeks from Saturday when the Hokies will take on Notre Dame in Lane Stadium. Before we get into more on set here, I forgot to send it over to Nick Brown before the break here. So he's got some stats for us and also uh, some YouTube comments that have popped up in the first half of the podcast. Yeah, yeah. we were uh, corrected about the whole Brian Kelly deal. Thank you to T-Man450. He said Newt Rockney. Uh, died in a plane crash. That explains why his, his tenure wasn't very really long. I don't <laughs> go back that far. <laughs> he would have had more thank career you, wins. You would think so. Yeah. <laughs> but thank no, no. honestly, the guy who I thought would have had more career wins would have been Lou Holtz, but I guess he didn't stay there. Yeah, he wasn't there long enough, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, the stat today, everybody praises Fuente for his opening week wins and how if he has time to prepare for wins, he's good, or games, he's good. What do you guys think is his win percentage coming off of a bye week, mm-hmm. given two weeks preparation? Now, twenty-five-year-old Chris Coleman would know this. I know. I, I have no clue. Uh, I saw it. There's so been I seven, games, seven games. Seven games. Seven off by. I included ECU cancellation as a bye week. Also. Okay. Well, I know we lost that one. Uh, yeah. Who did? Who did? They five play? and five and two. Two and five. Really? Huh. So run, run down the list. So off of a loss, so say you lose them by week, only once has that happened. Zero and one off of a win, two and four, hmm. and well, so, so yeah, oh, coming the off the ECU okay. one, uh, old Dominion. Yeah. So OD. so did you did you have a list? Do you have a list of all of them? I just went through the years, and that was I just I, looked it up because I was I was curious. You know, Fuente's normally pretty good on the opening week. Only lost yeah. once to Boston College at yeah. BC. Yeah. 
And then I was like, oh, maybe it's good for bye weeks. And that was shocking to realize only two wins two, off right. of a bye week. Right. And I'm trying now, to one was Clemson last year. And that uh, that uh, shouldn't yeah, count. Yeah, that, yeah, yeah. that doesn't count. <laughs> uh, I'm, trying, I'm trying to think what the other bye weeks. Like, who would have, our, who would have been our 2016 bye week? Would that have been Georgia Tech? Yes. Wow. Right. So okay. we came out with a bad performance against uh, Georgia Tech off a of bye. Um, and the triple option, two weeks to prepare for the triple two option. Two weeks to prepare for the triple option and still lost. Yeah, but there was this theory that Paul Johnson was in, in Justin Fuente's head, that Fuente would make coaching decisions he wouldn't ordinarily make. At and, that point, he wasn't, though, because Johnson maybe, had never beaten him. They maybe in 2018. Yeah, maybe when, about 2018. When Georgia Tech came in and just rolled the yeah. Hokies. Yeah. Um, hmm. That defense so, was also pretty young for – Yes. Yeah, yeah, the triple option. Yes, yeah, yeah. They, they didn't have a chance to win that game. Took oh. down North Carolina twice off of a bye week. So those also. are the two wins. Yes, North so. Carolina, Carolina, <laughs> Carolina. They thirty-four just... three, and then the fifty burger. They hung on them too. Wow. For 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 all of the hype their program gets because of good recruiting or Mac Brown being a media darling and all that, like, so our only two wins off a of bye are against North Carolina. Yep. Same. Yeah, and, and, and they, they just they just don't. hurricane game was the right. first one. Okay, right. um, so they just don't they just don't win as much as they should at football. Mm-hmm. I think is what you can say. Mm-hmm. Yeah. All right, so let's see. I'm scrolling through to 2018 now. Wow, ODU is off a of bye week. Yep. Yeah, yeah. That was well, ECU right, cancellation. That's, all right, now, that's the, okay. Now to be fair, like it wasn't a complete bye week that week. I mean, I remember going in there for media sessions and. I remember like being in there for media sessions, leaving, and I think this was like a Tuesday or a Wednesday. And when the when of the week. did they cancel that? And and they did not can they they basically canceled the game ten minutes after I left the Merriman Center for media sessions. Wow! And I I think that was either a Tuesday or a Wednesday. Okay. So like the practice week preparation for East Carolina had already begun, and they so it's not like you it's not like you know oh we've got a bye week and then we're playing ODU so you've got two weeks to prepare. You know, they really couldn't start preparing until Thursday or Friday because yes. you need that day to look at the film and, and look at it. Like, like I was wrong about 2016, the Georgia Tech. It was just the UNC game. We had the bye week for that one. Okay. Um, 2018, Georgia Tech was on a Thursday following yes. an open week. I did not count, um, you know, Thursday night game off Saturday. Yeah. And then, okay. okay. That, 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 yeah, that's Saturday. fair. Um, so Duke forty five to ten. Yes. Oh gosh, that was twenty nineteen. Oh, I remember that. that. I remember. I, I went on wow. vacation that bye week. I went to the beach. And okay. Then I, I came back for the Duke. Two game, years ago today, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Two years ago today, that was the bye week. Happy anniversary. <laughs> <laughs> Happy anniversary, baby. Got you on my mind. Uh, well, <laughs> a bye week coming up for Virginia Tech ahead of Notre Dame on October 9th. We're going to get into that in a second. A few more things with Richmond I want to touch on. Uh, Malcolm behind the scenes was talking about the, the fake punt that the Hokies decided to run. Uh, you would hope that usually you don't have to pull out a fake punt against Richmond. Well, you don't well, have to well, do well, anything. Well, it's, it's all about it's alignment. I guess maybe they're coached in certain situations. I, I didn't listen to the radio post game for the first time this year because I wanted to watch football. So <laughs> what, what did Justin Fuente have to say about So he said that uh, Richmond lets the gunners go. Yep. And I think he said every time. Mm-hmm. So if you go back and you watch the replay, I, I don't remember who the intended uh, receiver. Dorian, Dorian Strong. Strong. Dor- so Dorian Strong runs, and they just let him go. Yeah. And 20, 25 yards downfield, Fuente's right. He's wide open. Right. And apparently Richmond does this over and over and over, 
and I don't want to go down this rabbit hole too long, but it reminds me of the 2001 punt block against UVA where Frank watched film and UVA did a weird thing with, uh, they would take their two guys who were, they weren't over center. So here's your guys snapping to your punter. UVA would take these two guys, their blockers and like peel them away and out. Mm. And Frank saw that on film. So he just sent guys into the middle and he double stacked guys and they blocked a punt. Frank saw something on film. He's like, we can do this. Mm. Fuente saw something on film. And he's like, well, we can do this. Or Sheepus saw. Yeah, <laughs> yeah Sheepus. So, so they practiced it all week. And Peter Moore was just apparently clicking like Dan Marino all week in practice. Is that right? That was the I think that's quote. the quote he said. And then he said he likes his punting better than his passing. Yeah. Well, that came later in response <laughs> to a question. Uh, but, no, he, he they saw it and went to, ex- right. went to take advantage of it. And the... The court, uh, <clears throat> thrower in that situation, Peter Moore, did not execute. Poor Dorian Strong. As a defensive player, you're only going to get so many opportunities in your career to score a touchdown. <laughs> that thing landed so short of him, though. It was so short. I know. I, know. <laughs> I don't think there was much Dorian could do. No, it wasn't. That's why I'm saying if you if he is hidden stride, it's an easy touchdown. I thought he did a. I thought Dorian did a masterful job of not reacting. Uh, me he too. stopped and he stood and he put his hands on his hips. He didn't. The, 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 he the, didn't give it this. The, you know? the reaction by everybody was so unemotional that I was just actually looking around and I was like, "Was what? Was there a false start? Was there a flag? Did that not count? Like, no, <laughs> nobody looks. Nobody's showing any emotion at all. Like, <laughs> no. like, what are you gonna say? You know, well, that was a really bad pass. I guess uh, we'll just trot back to the side. Yeah. Why didn't now. that play work? I think we all know why that play didn't work. <laughs> You're right. Dorian Strong's got to be upset about that. I mean, how many times do you get a play drawn up for you to score a touchdown? As a defensive player. As a defensive player, like, you might get a pick six or a scoop and score, but that is probably maybe the one chance Dorian Strong gets to have a touchdown drawn up for him. Uh, P- it, Peter Moore just owes him a birthday card <laughs> or something. Like, man, dude, thanks for not, like, really embarrassing me. <laughs> uh, well, the Hokies did get a special teams touchdown on Saturday and a 21-10 win over Richmond. Now two weeks ahead of Notre Dame. Hokies are 3-1 and one on the season, still still 1-0 and oh in the ACC possibly one of the more important games of the season on Saturday, uh, excuse me, two Saturdays from now for the Hokies against the Irish, trying to pull off the upset. What do you hope the Hokies are preparing and using this two weeks for uh, in advance of the Irish? Well, I mean, I think they've really, really got to focus. I don't expect them to push a magic button in the offense, start putting up 30 or 40 points a game. That's not going to happen. Yeah. Um, They really have to focus on the little things, make sure they get everything right on special teams. And take advantage of every yard available, every little trick in the book that you got on special teams. Uh, you know, I, I do think Tech runs a bit of a risk adverse offense, which is good and bad. I mean, turnovers is the fastest way to lose a football game. Ask UNC; they've lost two of them this year because of turnovers, arguably. Yeah. The yeah. Tech game, you know, three interceptions. <clears throat> And then Georgia Tech scored 17 points off turnovers against them on Saturday night. Um, you, you sort of cap yourself from a big play standpoint if, if you're kind of risk adverse and everything like that. But what's the right decision for this particular Virginia Tech offense? Um, you know, if you just if you if you give them a lot of creative freedom out there and say, man, just start going for it, just start taking chances all over the field, or are they good enough to? To take advantage yeah. of that. I don't know that they are. Yeah. Um, and Notre Dame is probably not going to score a ton of points. So it is one of those games where if you 
manage the field position well, and you don't turn the football over, you're going to be in the game in the fourth quarter with a chance to win. Um, so, yeah, you, you want to try to get the offense more efficient, obviously, but you also have to think about the best game, best ways to win the football game. And Virginia Tech's best chance to win this football game is if it's 17-13, to 13, not, not if it's 31-27. to 27 And, and it magnifies everything yeah. when you're talking about that kind of situation. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, and, you know, Notre Dame is probably comfortable in those types of games too. So that's why I just think it's going to be an ugly game. Yeah. It, it's like – I haven't looked at a weather forecast, forecast, but the only thing that can make it uglier is if it, you know, if it rains. If it was down 40 rain. degrees and rain. <laughs> uh, so I think uh, one of the big keys for that game, uh, they, they asked Fuente about Silas Janzi. Yes. And uh, he – He said it's not a long-term. He said, he said it's not a long-term deal, but he didn't say he would be back for Notre Dame. That's a big deal. Is he going to be is back he gonna for be, Notre That's a huge deal. Yeah. Um, he, he's been – the three games he played or through the two – and one quarter games that he played, he was probably Virginia Tech's best offensive yeah. lineman. And, and you saw his absence; it caused a huge shuffle. Everybody playing different yes. positions. Against, and, and I think the performance of the offensive line has declined since since he went out. I think oh, there's no question. I think up to that point, they weren't as good as last year, but, but they weren't like dreadful. Right. Right. Uh, so it's it, yes, you've seen a big drop off since he so left. So get a load of this: the the preliminary grades on PFF Pro Football Focus. Mm-hmm. Through so if if you look at PFF team grades, they grade a team on about eight to ten different categories: mm-hmm. passing, pass blocking, running, run blocking, mm-hmm. and then very similar for the defense: uh, run defense, tackling, coverage, coverage, pass rush. pass rush. So there's about ten categories plus in which special they, teams. Yep. Yeah, and then they, they they do special teams separately. So looking at the preliminary grades for this game. Tech is a team in in pass blocking. I'm I looked at it three times. I'm sure I'm not making this up. They got an 87.5 on pass blocking for this game, okay. which is like the highest yeah. unit grade out of all four games. Um, I don't know what to make of that because Burmeister got sacked a couple of times. A couple times. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Yeah, so that's an odd grade because there were two sacks. Now, that said, outside of the two sacks themselves, I don't remember any pressure at all. Yeah. Okay. All right. And, and, it, and it, is a, it is an FCS team. Um, so the other thing you notice looking at the looking at the PFF grades is that the Tech's passing performance as a team was mid-80s against UNC. The mm-hmm. passing game was really good. And it's been in the 50s, the three games since then. Mm-hmm. Now, if you drill down into uh, this particular game, Braxton, for the first time in three games, was above a 60 in passing. Uh, Which is the baseline. But, yeah. but Peter Moore throwing it into the dirt and, yeah, Knox, Kadem, <laughs> and, and Knox Kadem throwing an interception yeah. dragged the team yes. grade down into the mid-50s. Yeah. Uh, um, so. We didn't talk about that. I, was, I had that written down. Yeah, Knox Kadem coming in. And throwing an interception in the red zone, kind of is the, the first and still only all time, the first and still only time all year where an opponent has started a tech territory. Yes, right, that's yep. right. That was the uh, first that, one. Only that, short field broke the streak. Yep, and you, you can argue back and forth about whether you should have done that in that situation. I don't think you should have done that in that situation. Of course, on your own five yard line. I don't think you should do it at all, though. Like I don't understand. Like I know Fuente sees him every day. Uh, most fans have a very small sample size. We, we've seen three open practices that have featured Knox Kadem. So I've watched him throw the ball over 100 times at this point. And 
I don't. I think Burmeister's arm is average to above average, but Kadem's is is a couple steps below that. There's a, and we saw that in his it, high school film. We his, his, high, his reads and his accuracy was, are good. good but, the but, strength, right, right? There's the arm strength is is it's FCS level arm strength. Yeah, yeah. Um, so I just think that he's. I don't think he's capable, physically capable of moving the tech offense down the field. On a, I mean, you're going to have your play here and there, of course, small sample size as a backup quarterback where you do ways. But I just, from what I've seen of him, I just, I don't understand why that decision was made to begin with. Maybe you're trying to fire a shot across Burmeister's bow, but to me, and I know Burmeister has his flaws. I mean, most, almost every quarterback has flaws in college football this is college football it's not the nfl you know um but to me i think it's just so clear that he is virginia tech's most important player burmeister burmeister yeah and like because i don't think that offense can function without him considering what's behind him at backup i think you have an fcs arm talent as your number two quarterback and your number three quarterback is an h-back yeah basically so I just, I don't understand. And that then move. there's a freshman beyond that. Right, right. Um, so I, I just I don't get why that move happened because I, I you only make that move if you feel like the backup gives you a better chance to win, maybe, or you're just trying to experiment. But to me, everything I've seen, there, there's no evidence at all that Kadem give gives Tech a better chance to win, man. And Tech right. is going to need Burmeister's legs this year and things like that. So I don't know. I rarely ever degree, uh, disagree with Fuente over like a pure football decision, but that one baffled me. That's a head scratcher. And it gets back to what I said last week about how he periodically makes decisions that just seem to backfire. On right. Him. Yeah. So. Now this is the only one of those decisions I've disagreed in the moment. So. You're like, what are you doing? What are you doing? Yeah. yeah, it seemed like a strange choice to bring him in inside your own five. And now it wasn't in-game moment. Pete Morris, as soon as that interception was thrown, tweeted out. Fuente uh, said during the week that he was going to get Knox in the game, yeah. whether it's a blowout or not. Yeah. Uh, right, and that's actually, just a that's that's weird. that's actually the more inexplicable thing to me. Yeah, and like, he, and he, I can understand somebody making a. De- a fiery emotional based decision in the heat of the moment where you don't like a throw a quarterback just made like, all right, you get out for a play. But this was decided planned. before the game at it some point planned. that they were going to play him. And I, that's the part where I, I don't understand how that, how you feel like he gives you a better chance and back in his own end zone too. Yeah. It, seemed, yeah. it seemed very forced. <clears throat> yeah. The, and, the, and the whole, and if you look at the actual play, um, he was late to deliver the ball. The timing was yes. off. That, that and that type of play doesn't really fit his strengths as a passer anyway. I mean, he and, didn't and have the, this the, very strong arm. The cornerback was, I think it was a corner. He was parked on it. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, so, I guess we don't. I guess if anything, there will be no more arguing about which quarterback to play at this point. Right? <laughs> yes. Well, somebody on the boards joked about that. They said, you know, even though Burmeister is struggling, nobody's calling for the backup. Nope, not going to do that anymore. Yeah. Well, and that's something we talked about preseason. It's When you look back a few years ago when you had Josh Jackson, Ryan Willis, Hendon Hooker, Quincy Patterson all on the same roster, wow. all four of those, even though Hooker and Patterson were young at that point, you at least felt decent about all four of those you, guys. You felt decent about the physical talent of the quarterbacks in your program. And, and you felt good if Josh Jackson got hurt. Mm-hmm. At least somebody behind him had some sort of ability or potential. Ever it doesn't had feel a like strength you could play to. Yes, yes. exactly. Uh, yeah, because everybody saw that ball that Ryan Willis had thrown in the spring game that year, the deep yeah. ball. Yeah. And you're like, whoa, that dude's got some serious physical talent. Yeah. So you didn't feel so bad. Yeah, th- this, this year would be like, oh, God, what – this this would be like 
Tyrod getting hurt in 20, 2009, and then Juju Clayton. Juju, I couldn't remember his right. name. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Juju, Juju he allowed Logan Thomas to redshirt, so he did his job. So Knox Kadem is allowing Todd Bullock to redshirt. So and then there was the year where Mark Leal was your backup. Right. Behind so, uh, Logan Thomas, Lo- I think. I, I yep. think you're right. Yes. Um, and so I just – I think it's one of those years where – now you can understand maybe why they're trying to protect Burmeister a little bit in the read option because we happen to get hurt. Like the the more times, the more hits a quarterback takes, I mean the percentage chance of him getting injured does go up. Goes up. So you can understand that for, to a certain extent, but at the same time, you know, I feel like his legs give Virginia Tech their best chance to be an effective offense. So yeah. I think it's a risk you've got to take. Um but, yeah, it's a, it's a big drop-off. I always thought it was a big drop-off based on what we saw in practice, just the pure arm talent difference bet- between the two. I mean, there's just a clear difference between when Burmeister and Bloomberg are throwing the ball and when Kadem's throwing the ball. Well, right. well, looking at Burmeister, we talked about against West Virginia how he wasn't keeping the ball on any of the read options. And he finally he, kept one against he, Richmond. Well, he, he did, which seemed like a strange – decision that he wouldn't keep it in the game you're trying to go win against West Virginia and he was keeping it and taking hits against Richmond when you feel like that's not necessary that, that, that could uh, I don't know that could be as much about Notre Dame as it is anything else just throwing one example out there oh look he has kept it on one read option this year so he will do it right so stay home yeah uh-huh. all right so toss it over to Nick for a second yeah Nick Yes, yeah, so he talked about Taj Bullock getting the red shirt. Alex Orgy, I was looking at his stats um, for a senior year. He's tearing it up. Do you think Taj Bullock is kind of going to be that – not Knox Caden. We know he might be more talented and most he likely will be is. more more yeah. talented than Knox Caden. Alex Orgy has nine rushing touchdowns his senior season, four games. Mm-hmm. And he also has 13 passing touchdowns. So 22 touchdowns. I think, four I think he's a very talented player and – his mom's a surgeon, so I know he comes from a good family and is well raised and everything. So, would you compare Taj and Alex? How, like, looking at their senior years, senior seasons, talent difference between the two? Generally speaking, I would say these days the Texas quarterbacks and probably Georgia quarterbacks and California quarterbacks are going to be a little more advanced, and Florida maybe, I guess, too, because they're starting to pay the head coaches in those states obscene salaries. And Bullock is from New Jersey, right? He's from New Jersey. Yeah. Uh, and orgies from Texas, yeah. if you don't know. Well, so, uh, so like one of the 757's top coaches left a few years ago to go to Georgia because he basically had his salary doubled or tripled or something yeah. like that. And you don't actually have to teach down there to coach. <laughs> you know, they, they just care about you, you football. You are the football coach. Yes, yeah, you You're were the not football a math coach. teacher. Yeah, the, it's Friday Night Lights, Coach Taylor. Yes. Know? It's not like he's in there teaching history <laughs> class. <You know? laughs> he's coaching football team the whole time. those damn so, kids. <laughs> so as football gets more and more, you know, the money get, it's more important in certain states. And it's more and more about money. Then those states are, are getting the best coaches because they're willing to pay them more money. Right. Um, it makes me nervous when you look above my head. Well, <laughs> the, it's, it's the, the Tech Sideline Podcast logo okay. goes in and out on that TV. Okay. Well, anyway. Um, <laughs> Trust so, me, you're, you're not so moving it around. Theor- theoretically, Orgy should have had you know, very good coaching in Texas and yeah. should be fairly ready. Um, now, that said, Bullock came from a league in New Jersey that I really do like. It's, 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 it's that New Jersey private Catholic league, and I think that produces uh, good players up there and, and guys who are mentally advanced and, and you know, not necessarily like he's got a ways to go, of course, and he's redshirting for a reason, but like I, there's no adjustment to college or anything like that for that guy because he already went to a big-time high school 
and, and everything like that. So I think they're both pretty similar physically. Now, what I will say is like, you know, they don't seem to play much defense at the high school level in Texas anymore. Right. You know, I mean, I remember watching some of those highlights of Demetrius Davis last year when they were scoring like 70 points and you're just watching the defensive <laughs> players and they're just, they're not even trying. And I'm like, does anybody in that state value defense anymore? <laughs> I remember watching film of Alec Bryant and Robert Wooten and kind of getting the same vibe where defense is just kind of, you know how, how you see guys practice, like CF, you see on television, police officers practicing, you know, and the targets pop up. And they, it's almost <laughs> like the defensive guys are just paper targets, just kind of standing around <laughs> while the offense runs by them. Yeah, yeah. It's almost like – it's almost like the, everybody goes into a game with, with the philosophy of the offense is going to be dominant. Like, and even the defensive players have bought into that. Maybe they like even view themselves as cannon fodder to a certain extent. I, I don't know. It's so that that part of it does give me pause uh, about. Yeah, uh, I, I think he's a really talented guy, and I'm sure he's been well coached in Texas. But he also just doesn't seem like they play much defense in that state anymore. So you have to take that with a grain of salt. Now that said, I'm very happy to have, I'll be very happy to have him so many signs and Bullock in the program, because I think they have, I think they, I think they both have the prerequisite talent, but you know, I mean, I thought, is it quarterback, is the quarterback development issue or is it, is it recruiting the wrong quarterbacks? Like Quincy Patterson had a extremely high ceiling, but he started at such a low floor that he was very unlikely to ever reach that ceiling. Um, it's hard to judge Hooker because his big development year got, you know, the whole offseason got wiped out because of COVID. Um, Jackson got hurt, so you don't know how much he would have developed from his first to his second year. Willis definitely regressed. Um, <laughs> so that, but, 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 so. The UNC play? Yeah. So I, I just. <laughs> There, there have been some situations that have been out of the control of Cornelson and Fuente as far as quarterback development. But, I mean, over the course of their tenure, you, you've not really seen a quarterback say, oh, man, that guy got noticeably better between the beginning of his career and the end of his career. So while I think those guys have the prerequisite tools, that part worries me. What's going to happen? Yeah. What's going to happen when they get here? I mean, because I think the tools are there. Are they going to develop – uh, we'll see. I saw a clip on uh, Twitter this week, Alex Orgy hurtling a defender to get into the end zone. So no. good athlete too. Um, so uh, uh, big news. I just got a, an email suggesting that instead of alcohol at tailgates, you should consume cannabis products. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> I thought I thought you actually there actually is big news right now that no, Nick has over here. I thought sorry you I thought you'd you. seen it. I yeah. I was totally expecting what you were about to say. <laughs> Notre Dame kickoff is seven thirty, so that's what nice. I was about to come out of your mouth. That is... <laughs> that's what I thought you were going to say. So that gives you all day to consume cannabis. Products. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know that's it's funny. Like and you but, will not make it into the stadium. So, so you can I, start earlier now. So I was sitting I was sitting in a bar watching watching the football games after the tech game on Saturday. And this kid rolls in and straight up asks the bartender, can I smoke weed in here? <laughs> I mean, so uh, at some point you're going to see that, man. I'm telling you. you Did the bartender say only if you share? I don't know. Because <laughs> <laughs> when I was in college, that was the answer. <laughs> uh, uh, anyway, 730, right? 730 kick yep. time. Well, ACC Network. Congratulations, yep. ACC! You made the right decision. Yeah, yeah we were we were talking earlier during the break. It's like you would think that they want to they would want to highlight one of their best, one of their only good. 
big game at atmospheres in a night game. Yeah, absolutely. Especially yeah. against Notre Dame. I mean, that's it should be a rocking lane stadium on October 9th. Uh, you talked about watching football. Texas players not playing defense. We're going to put it together. Who watched the North Carolina game on Saturday? I did. Uh, I watched a good portion of it. I did not. I was watching. What was I watching? I was back and forth between watching a little bit of Tennessee, Florida, and then West Virginia. It, at this point, I had lost control of the remote control and didn't have my <laughs> options like I had earlier in the afternoon. Right. Uh, so I didn't watch it. I did see the box score. I, I, was, I did look at the box score, and I noticed how – up until like the end of the second quarter, it wasn't a very high-scoring game. Like there wasn't much scoring going on, and then all of a sudden there Georgia were a bu- Tech just, yeah a bunch of points. Yeah, right uh, Jeff Sims looked really impressive. He didn't play the whole game. I don't know if he started it or not for Georgia Tech. Yes, they had their backup in there for a little bit. Yeah, um, and he was doing okay. And they lost. Yes. yes, and this is again this is the thing about the ACC. Like, so I've started to use the term familiarity bias because somebody used it on our board a couple weeks back and I thought it was a very perceptive phrase like we all have a familiarity bias either positively or negatively against our own team because that's the team we watch every week and we don't watch everybody else every week so the familiarity bias for Virginia Tech is oh my gosh we're never going to be able to win a game because our offense stinks right and then but then you look around the rest of the ACC and Pitt fans are saying, oh, my God, we lost to Western Michigan. How are we going to win any of these ACC games? And, yeah. and and Georgia Tech fans, after the first week, are like, oh, we lost to Northern Illinois. How in the world are we ever going to compete with somebody like North Carolina? Yeah. You know, So uh, I think Tech is strong in two of the three phases of, of the game. Um, I don't think anybody's strong in all three. Nobody in the Coastal Division is strong in all three phases of the game. It doesn't appear. So I, I think – you're right, and so it comes down to you know winning rock fights from time to oh, time. Winning yeah. rock fights and you know the random ran, uh, individual matchups. Like teams are going to have certain matchup advantages over yeah. other teams on a weekly basis. So it's going to come down to that. You know, random events like whether a, a, an official says it's a touchdown or it's incomplete before before a review. Right, yeah. it's going to come down to turnovers. And so another another instance of familiarity bias is you know, so many tech players get injured. Other teams don't have these injuries. You've been paying attention to Clemson. Guys are dropping like flies. Yeah, right. Uh, Brian Brees tore an ACL yesterday. Yeah, and who's that linebacker? Skalski, is that his name? James Skalski. Yep. Yeah. Uh, I, I think, was it him that just left the game? And you're like, I couldn't really tell what was wrong with him, but he couldn't play. I think that was – Well, um, kind of where I wanted to go with the Carolina thing is there were three ACC teams ranked – preseason the AP poll all three of those teams have two losses now Mm -hmm. and now the highest ranked team from the ACC is NC State at 23 Clemson now 25 so the teams were Clemson Carolina and Miami Miami oh right gosh so you're looking at the ACC right now basically the three teams that probably had the best odds were favored to win the conference now have two losses Clemson a loss to NC State Carolina now has two ACC losses. They can't afford a third. They still got to play Wake Forest, too. Yes. Wake looked very good beating Virginia, who now has two ACC losses. So, I mean, I think unless the Coastal Division winner goes like 5-3, and like 2008, which is possible, I guess, if you look at the mess that it is. I mean, assuming the Coastal winner goes 6-2 and or 7-1 or whatever, like Carolina's, they have to win out. They right. have to, and they're not going to. And Virginia Tech has to lose three games yes. right. if Carolina wins out. Right. Yes. Right. So just looking at it, 
We, I want to say Andy Pitter tweeted this out. Now, it's always been coastal chaos with, I want to say, in seven years, all seven teams won right. uh, the coastal yeah. a few years back. Now we have Atlantic anarchy is what Andy Bitter coined it because <laughs> like now it. Clemson a lost to NC They're State. The they, they no still, longer have their destiny in their own hands. They've still got to play Wake Forest on November 20th. Yes. So and Wake and NC State will play at some point. Um that's going to be entertaining. I mean, I, I watched the UVA-Wake game on Friday, or at least a good portion of it. And Wake's just a well-oiled machine. Yeah. Very good coach. Dave Clawson wrecked UVA's program indirectly. Like, he was at Richmond, built a really strong program. Then he left and took the Wake job. Or was it the Wake job? Or he left and, and went somewhere. And uh, then Mike London takes over at Richmond. And in his first year at Richmond, wins the national championship with, with Mike with London. Clawson's with Clawson's players. With Clawson's players. So the UVA's like, oh, my God, what a great coach right in our own backyard. And he's <laughs> yeah. from the state of Virginia. We should hire him to be our head coach. And no, not so much, right? So yeah. Dave Clawson indirectly wrecked the UVA program. And then he smacked him around on Friday nights. So that was nice to see. Um, yeah, doesn't – Clemson, you know, if you look at their, their, their touchdowns, their first touchdown was just – Obviously, there's still talent there because that first touchdown they scored was an NFL play. I mean, yeah. he was rolling to his right, and he threw back from about 35 or 40 yards on the, on the field to the back of the end zone in a tight space. I mean, it was like a rope down into the back of the end zone. And you're like, oh, my God. Maybe they're starting to put it together. No, as it turned out, that was just a talent play, and they still can't do any of yeah. the other things. And they're not, They don't block well up front. Uh, I thought at NC State – you know, they didn't put up a ton of yards or points, but I, I thought they just they looked good offensively. And, like, when a play didn't work, it was because Clemson has a really good defense. Yeah. Uh, which I think is the difference between, like, the Tech offense just doesn't look right to me. Now, the NC State offense didn't put up a bunch of points, but they, they looked like they their timing on things were good. They looked like the, what they knew what they were about. Um, and, and, and so speaking of coach's name, Dave. Oh, did you see his postgame picture? Dave Dorn? Yeah. No, I didn't see. Oh, it. he he had got a red solo cup and a cigar and took a picture, and it was going. <laughs> I mean, all I mean, over. that's a guy that was on the verge of being fired at the end of 2019, right? Yeah. Then he comes out and he goes, "What did they do? Eight and three last year. They end up ranked. Yeah. yeah. And now they're they're in the driver's seat in the Atlantic, and and that's a program. I man, you should never use the word never, but I just never thought we'd see anybody but Clemson in the championship game the way they were going. Yeah. And now you got you know, NC State and Wake both have an opportunity here. Wake's such a senior-laden team yeah. and a well-coached team. To, to me, because I, I remember that 2019 game. Was it 2019 when Tech beat them 36-17, beat Wake? Mm-hmm. Wake's, Wake was a good team then. Mm-hmm. They just had depth issues. Their Surratt, their best wide receiver, got hurt in the game against Tech. I think they'd already lost their quarterback. You know, quarterback's a different kind of thing. Yeah. But, he, he has put together a good program, but that's kind of their Achilles heel is that they're not super deep. So if guys start getting hurt, they're out. Yeah. And just looking at the ACC, I think when you look at the beginning of the season, there were a few teams you say, like North, Clemson, North Carolina, that, man, if they have the season everybody thinks they might, they could be in the college football playoff. Right. Now I don't – I think the ACC is probably no, not going not, to get a spot unless not. Wake no chance. Unless one out. One's, runs the table, right? It, and even then, even I, then, it, I think it, it, it would depend be on what everybody else did. It's a big mountain to climb. It would be yeah. a big because it's, it's uh, like in 2005, if Tech had had won out, they still had USC and, and, and Texas, Texas in who front also of them. won out. Yeah, yeah. exactly right. Um, yeah, so I mean, there's not going to be an ACC playoff team this year. Well, I mean, that's, it looks that's just no. I mean, how could you possibly bet on that happening? 
Yeah. yeah. I mean, it looks like there's going to be two SEC teams for sure. It looks yeah. like Alabama and Georgia. Oregon filled no. in Clemson. Oregon. No, if you're, if you're Jim Phillips and, you know, you're trying to renegotiate television deals and bleed every ounce of money you can out of all this stuff to increase, you know, payouts to your schools and you're staring down the possibility of a Wake Forest versus Pitt ACC championship game. Yeah. Um, so if, if somebody besides Clemson doesn't win it this year, you know, you, I'm sure the ACC brass is hoping that it's NC State because NC State will at least take fans to Charlotte, you know, and they're a big state school. I mean, Wake Forest is a small private school, and everybody respects the job. Wake Forest is the best coach hiring school in the ACC is what it seems they're like. pretty good. Me. Jim Grobe. I mean, they're really good at hiring coaches who fit what they and need. And Clawson followed Grobe, right? There he was did. nobody yeah. in between. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Uh, they've, they've done a really good job at that. Um, but if you're the ACC, you don't want them in that game. Well, and I think the ACC probably is hoping Virginia Tech comes out of the Coastal at this point because UNC and Virginia have their backs against the wall I mean, with two it, losses already. Yeah, I mean, as far as, you know, a in-game atmosphere. Tech and NC State. Man. Um, no, Clemson and, Clemson and Virginia Tech and Charlotte would be the best for the league. But Tech and NC State would be fine, too. Right You're talking it. about big big state schools, and, and, and I think both both fan bases would be excited to play that game. Yeah. That and NC and I think both fan rocking. bases respect each other. Yes. I, th- I think they, yeah. they feel like kindred spirits of a sort, and that'd mm. be a lot of fun, as long as Virginia Tech wins. You know, uh, you know, <laughs> NC State used to have their own version of Center Street parties before their game. Yeah. Theirs got so bad that they shut it down. It got shut down. I wonder if Center Street will eventually get there. That's all it takes. It's going to take one kid falling off a balcony and it's I done. thought the North Carolina game would be would possibly be the last one. <laughs> Were you there? I was not there, uh, but I thought it – no, I, just pre, pre-cognition, I was thinking it might be that crazy that Blacksburg PD just says – I, 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 I went by uh, – I walked by it before the game this past weekend on my way to a tailgate, and they were, they were hopping pretty good even though it was uh, – even though it a was new Richmond. start. And I, I'm, I'm friends with a cop who was down there. He was one of the guys uh, assigned to, to Center Street that day, and he was like, yeah, it's been pretty good all day. Uh, so there's m- more, more kids were out early than, you know, Middle Tennessee. Uh, it seems like everybody just took Middle Tennessee State – or excuse me, the Middle Tennessee game off – from a party standpoint. Mm-hmm. But, yeah, they were hopping pretty good for Richmond. And they're going to be hopping again. Notre Dame, next, boy. Notre Dame. Oh, Lordy. Yeah. <laughs> All day, no classes this time? Yes. Yeah, no <laughs> classes this time. That, that, that's probably what saved it from UNC. For UNC. Yeah, some of them did have to go to class. <laughs> well, and especially a bye week. People have the weekend to recover and get ready for next weekend. So, oh, man. Um, before we get into YouTube questions, and Justin Fuente is also – at the podium for his press conference. I want to talk about last night's Sunday Night Football. Joshua Neisman got the start at left tackle for the Green Bay Packers. How long has it been since he – how long was it – what was his last year at Tech? It was either 2016 or 17. It was 2016. Wow, it seems like a long time, and he's still hanging around he's, and finally he's got a start. He stuck around for like the practice squad for a year, and then he was in there on, on field goal teams, on special teams, and he's just like – Grinded it out, and he finally he's got, got grit, there. man. He's got stick to it. Stick Now he was always like a talented player. Yeah, yeah, that or, wasn't yeah, an issue. Yeah, and I was so he was matched up with Nick Bosa last night for most Tough for at least for the first, first quarter. Yes, and the, <laughs> I want to say at, at Ohio State, I know he started, and Joey Bosa was on the other side. I can't remember if Nick Bosa played in the game in Lane Stadium in 2016. Yeah, I don't know. I don't remember. Yeah. He was a freshman. You would think he'd, he was a generational type of yeah, prospect. Yeah. You would sure assume he played. he played. So yeah. maybe a little reunion there from, yeah, uh, that's from Neisman and, and Bosa. He looked a little a little shaky early on, but he settled in. And the Packers won that game late. So 
Uh, cool there, another Hokie alumni making plays. Uh, Logan Thomas had a touchdown yesterday as well. Man. So uh, with that, I want to hand it over to Nick, uh, Justin Fuente at the podium, and also some YouTube questions if you got anything over there. Yeah, Fuente announced that uh, the starters are getting rest till Thursday. Tuesday, Wednesday is going to focus on younger players, uh, getting reps, done a lot of snaps. Uh, he said each coordinator and coach will have to go back and do research on, and they he wants them to report back with what he see what they see is the best thing they do and what they need to work on more. Didn't think that was anything groundbreaking, mm-hmm. nothing crazy thus far. Um, a little stat about October 9th, which is the Notre Dame game. Scott Glessner on the YouTube comments said Virginia Tech has won the last six games on October 9th. Mark it down. Scott so, Glessner guarantees victory. Well, Notre Scott Dame Glessner. might as well not show up. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Just stay I on. heard it on YouTube. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> as we move into questions, YouTube questions, most interesting one I saw, Matt Hart said, is this kind of like 2007 – where Tech can still achieve their goals without being with being a seriously flawed team, especially I, I, on offense. I think it's probably more comparable to 2008 than 2007. And that may be what he meant. Because I, I do think 2007, I mean, Tech did not block well. I mean, they did not have a good offensive line. Man. But they had NFL dudes at wide receiver, man, and they had two quarterbacks that could make any throw on the field. And that's... They don't have a bunch of NFL dudes at wide receiver this year, and they don't have two quarterbacks who can make any throw on the field. They don't even have one, they don't even have one quarterback. Who was a running back? Was, was Orr? It was Orr, back? and Orr had a down year, but you know, you, he still had like 160 against UVA to end that year. Right. Um, and they also had they also had arguably the best defense in the country. Certainly Are we still one of the talking certain, about 2007? 2007, yeah. or, or 2007, right. And 2008, 2008 they won the ACC – even though they've lost three conference games, just the the conference was so down. Yeah. Um. So yeah, I, I think I think it's it's more two thousand eight level than, than it would be. Like, you're you're gonna take a couple losses in the ACC. I mean, this this it's this. Every, but everybody else is too. Mm-hmm. So we'll see how comes who comes out on top of that scrap heap. Yeah, I mean, you know, UNC and UVA, which is. Two two stout competitors. They're both behind the eight ball. Now. Yes. Yeah. Oh yeah. I mean, um, but I mean, you still got Georgia Tech and Pitt to deal. Well, with. here the thing about UVA, people get people are scared of UVA because they have a prolific passing game. Their quarterback throws for a lot of yards, but like if you look at their numbers against Wake Forest, yeah, the guy threw for over four hundred yards, which sounds nice, but he averaged less fewer than seven yards per attempt. They had to throw the ball like like fifty or sixty times. Okay. And if they have to throw the ball 50 or 60 times against Virginia Tech, it's going to mean they're losing the football game, most likely. Well, um, Virginia – But, you know, they, they can't play a lick of defense, and they can't block for the running game, and they don't have any good running backs. They literally are good at one thing on the entire football team, and that's throwing it. But if you're only good at one thing, you're not going to win that many games. I, I watched through the end of the third quarter that Virginia-Wake Forest game on Friday night, and – I want to say Wake had not punted at that point, so it would have been seven straight quarters. Without they did eventually forcing. punt three times in the fourth quarter. Okay, yeah. wow. I mean, that, that's how. But how seven you... quarters straight without forcing a punt. Or, for yeah, so defense. think about that. You remember how awful Virginia Tech's defense was against North Carolina last year? Like, you know, they got wiped out due to COVID the week before the punts, game. They forced punts, though. They, I think they forced two punts the whole game. <laughs> and that was, like, that was like the worst. That was one of the worst defensive perform- performances in Virginia Tech, Virginia Tech history. 
and they still forced two punts. Yeah. And UVA defense went like seven quarters without forcing yeah. a punt. Yeah. I mean, think about how bad you have to be for that to happen. So I, I would I would tell our fans, given that now UVA can let, let's say two losses are all they have, they can beat Virginia Tech at the end of the year. That that option's not there for UNC anymore. So I but but at this point in time with with everybody the way they are, I would pay attention to Georgia Tech and Pittsburgh. Mm-hmm. I'm well, not my, sure I'd pay much attention to well, Miami's my, all, Miami they haven't lost a conference game. They haven't have lost they? a conference game. But you know why I always dismiss Miami is cuz it's it's a crapshoot that that game has nothing to do with anything else. Right. Miami just literally you don't know it's it's like like I always say the Forrest Bunks Forrest Gump box of chocolates. Yep. You don't know what you're going to get when you play Miami, and that's why I ignore them. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we'll see what happens when they get here. All the stats are meaningless. They don't, they're meaningless because you don't know who's going to play for no. – yeah. Sorry, I don't mean to dismiss them like they don't exist. I just ignore them. Well, no, I mean, I think looking at the Coastal right now, the the one team you can probably dismiss is Duke. They're, but And UNC and UVA, like you said, behind the eight ball. But the other four teams in the Coastal still seem to have a chance. Is yeah. what It's yeah. Pitt, Georgia Tech, Miami, and – the Hokies. Yep. Um, all, right. all right, we'll just do one more. Last one. Does Fuente go all out against Notre Dame or hold no, his who, cards? Who's asking that? This is Scott Glessner, who got <laughs> this right. October 9th stat, by the way. Right. Uh, does Fuente go all out against Notre Dame or does he hold his cards tight for Syracuse and Pitt? Before yeah. you answer that, Fuente did say in his presser that they left a lot of plays on the field in the first four games and they did not execute well. Meaning that the plays are part of the playbook and they did not run them? No, he he says that what he's talking about is when you leave a play on the field is when Drake Dooley's is running wide open and the ball goes over his head. Yeah. Right. So uh, basically Fuente's saying for the plays we called in the first first four games, we still should have done better. Right. You know, and he's right. Mm -hmm. He's right. Um, Now, I don't think at this point you're saving anything. Yeah. Um, I think you've got a big Saturday night home game against Notre Dame and you go try to win it. Um, so I don't think they're going to be sitting there saying, ah, we're not, we're not going to use this play this week because we want to save it for Pitt. You know, I, 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 I think they're going to, uh, I think they're going to go through their playbook and decide which plays fit them best against Notre Dame and their scheme and their personnel. And that's what they're roll with. I don't think it'll have anything to do with the future. Now the strategy is, you know, what is the right strategy for, for the game? And, is the right strategy to make sure it's a seventeen to ten type game, or is it? Let's be a little more aggressive. Swing it around and, the yard. Yeah, because if we do, if we do have one of those games where a couple of those uh, get plays pay off, then you know Notre Dame's offense is bad enough where they might not be able to keep up. You know, but at the same time, if if those risky plays turn into interceptions, then that's going to snowball real quick against Notre Dame. I think fans overanalyze things. I think that mm-hmm. coaches coach to win every single game. Yeah. You know, particularly – and I know Fuente would tell you he doesn't listen to the outside noise. But um, there's a they're three and one, which is kind of – like going into the season, if you said three and one at this point, you'd be like, okay. Looks, but yeah, yeah. but the, the noise is building. Mm-hmm. And he knows he's got a – he now knows he's got a night game and an opportunity – I don't think he really thinks like this, but you kind of, and I don't want to insult him, but you kind of have to be a blockhead to not take this into consideration. You have a chance to make a statement in a high visibility game, 
keep your fans engaged, keep it, keep all of that momentum going. So I don't think you're going to hold anything. Back. Yeah, I don't think he's going to hold anything back unless you're a blockhead. Yeah. <laughs> uh, no, I, I think he thinks about stuff like that, but he's going to do whatever he feels like is necessary to win this football game. I think there's certain things you do in certain games, like if we'd been playing Notre Dame this past Saturday or if we'd been playing North Carolina this past Saturday, there's no way in hell that Knox Kadem comes into the game in the second quarter on the five-yard line. Um, you've seen Kashawn Artis – and Dean Ferguson come into the game in the first half at linebacker against Middle Tennessee and Richmond. And Richmond. And you didn't see that against North Carolina. So there is a little bit of, of, you know, the tech staff thinking like, okay, Middle Tennessee and Richmond, it would take a lot for them to beat us. So we we will do a little – we will do some things differently with personnel that we would not do against stronger opponents. Um, how much that applies to play calling, I, I don't know. You'd have to actually sit down with a coach one day and probably ask, what's your philosophy on games like that? And then see if he told you the truth. Right. You know, that's, what you, you, that's what you'd have to do it with a retired coach. Right, right, yeah, right. Yeah, an active yeah. coach would Calling never get to anything so, like yeah, that either way. Well, yeah. coach speak. <laughs> well, I mean, looking at this game, like you said, you're 3-1. and one. You've got all the goals that you want to accomplish ahead of you. You're, you're technically in the driver's seat in the Coastal right now. And you've got a huge game coming up. You would have to think that this is a good opportunity for this staff to kind of quiet the noise from the fan base. It's, it's all against Notre Dame. It, it's all these bye weeks are always interesting weeks because if you come out and you win, fans say, "Oh, they did a great job managing the bye week." But if you come out and lose, they're going to say, "What were you doing? Well, you had doing? two weeks to prepare. <laughs> why, why, why did you get more reps for younger players on Tuesday and Wednesday when you should have been practicing for Notre Dame?" Right? Braxton Burmeister came at the side of a barn, and you were giving Taj Bullock reps right, in practice. Right. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> right. So there, there's always a balance because you do want to, you do want to take advantage of the bye week and get your guys who might be a little banged up healthy to a certain extent because that's you only have that opportunity once during the whole course of the season to get anybody you have who's banged up healthier and Fuente's on record is saying you know saying last year after the bye week tech was a lot better because they just they, they were a lot fresher they got time and, off and they were a lot they were a lot better yeah. after 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 they got that bye week um so there's always that balance that you have to strike with, with the bye week and it, it should worry you a little bit, you know, looking further down the road. They're about to play eight straight games. Right. And at the tail end of that are games on the road. Right. Yeah. Um, so. I, and I think the most important thing is I do think you take a few days and you self-scout. You know, you, you get John Tenuta to self-scout Brad Cornell. That's what he's offense. there for, yeah. And, and then they sit down with each other and say, okay, Brad, as a former defensive coordinator, here's what I'm seeing from your offense here's what i think are your tendencies and and things like that you know and here's what i'm thinking about when i when i think about how i would attack how i would defend you um so i i think that that can be valuable and the thing but so the thing is like until you take those two or three days and and you come up with your own complete self-scout and then you decide where you want to go from here schematically it's not so much important that those starters get a lot of work that, that just when you decide on what you want to do schematically by Thursday, then they come back and everybody's fresh and you know exactly what you're going to work on heading into the Notre Dame game, yeah. as opposed to bringing them in on a Tuesday. And yeah, you know, we don't know exactly what we're going to do yet because we haven't finished our self scout, you know? Uh, so yeah, just let those guys, I'm okay with the strategy. Just give them a couple of days. Let, let the, let the bruises heal a little bit. And, uh, 
and get the younger guys some reps within the base offense and yeah, base so, defense so. and things like that. But to me, I, I think it, it's a big it's big from the standpoint of getting healthy, but also just figuring out based on four games of film the best way to go forward schematically and from a game planning standpoint and a strategy standpoint. Get all that figured out in these two or three days that you're afford, afforded and then full speed into Notre Dame. Because you have a good idea at this point of what your strengths and weaknesses are, mm-hmm. the health of your team at this point at yeah. least. And, you know, once once you get into those last eight games and it's boom, 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 week after week, there's not going to be an opportunity for this kind of stuff. Right. And then hopefully maybe you know more about Silas Shanzi by Thursday when you start preparing for, yeah. for Notre yes. Dame. And, and that's, that's key to any game plan, honestly, whether he's going to be able to play or not. Um, so if, he, he's, if he's able to come back, what happens with the offensive line? Does Tanu to go back to left tackle? Or maybe you need to put Janzi at left tackle. I, I, I don't know. Yeah. Um, I don't want to play Lasita Smith there against Notre Dame. Right. Um, and then what do you do? Do you move Brock Hoffman back to center? Do you give Johnny Jordan a chance there? So there's there's a whole lot of uh, what ifs, but that's determined by by Janzi and his return. So that was honestly that was my number one positive out of the Richmond game. And I'll I'll in some ways I'll just view the Richmond game as a success because they didn't play Silas Janzi. I was going to say because <laughs> Janzi didn't yeah, play. like they played Ricky Walker against William and Mary and. 2018, 2018 and I can go through the list again but I'm not going to do it but yeah they did they didn't they didn't put him out there so I think that's a good thing so hopefully he's able to be back for Notre Dame well again Justin Fuente did say not long term so you would hope maybe a bye week will help him and he also had the Richmond week off as well so hopefully yep. three weeks between West Virginia and Notre Dame enough for him okay. to get back I think that's going to wrap things up on episode 194 of the Tech Sideline podcast. Recapping Richmond, Chris, what's coming up during the bye week on TechSideline.com? Oh, you know, I've got to figure that out. There's going to be no <laughs> game preview this week, so we'll have an inside the numbers yeah. as usual, Friday Q&A as usual. Brandon Patterson will have a breakdown. So I've got to figure out a, like one extra article. I got, I got one for you. So so first of all, I'll tell you what I'm going to work on today, and then I'll, I'll suggest something. Uh, um, so my Monday article today, I've become, for some reason, a little obsessed with the fact that Tech hasn't scored over 50 points since that William yes. & Mary game. <laughs> yes. So I'm going to research all the ACC teams and see how many times other teams in the ACC have gone over 50 since then. Um, Miami scored 69 and Pitt scored 77 this past weekend, um, yes. in case you're not paying attention. If we really want to pad our offensive stats, we should schedule like one of those awful FCS teams. Yeah. Like the, like not, LA, not, LAU. Not, not, not Richmond, not not Furman. I'm talking about some of those FCS teams that can't even fully fund 63 scholarships. I want to right. say and Miami basic, Central Connecticut State right. this These weekend. These are basically Division two level programs that happen to be playing at the FCS yeah. level. I, I think the worst <laughs> team at that – and gosh, I think they may have actually been a, a Division one. A, a, an FBS team, uh, Florida, A&M. Rat, Florida A and M. They were FCS at the time. That's yeah. the least talented team I've ever seen. In my life. <laughs> I, I, I I was on the field for that game, and I know you. you I was were, too. You were yeah. too. Yeah, I, I, and I remember just sitting behind the end zone and just seeing how small some of their players were. Wow. And that was Tech's 2004 ACC championship team, and I'm just sitting there thinking, man, like, my seriously injure some of these kids i'm worried for them uh, I, mean, <laughs> I mean i hope we gave them a big fat check because their poor players oh, earned God. it so the other thing i would i would suggest is is look at your biggest movers in terms of uh uh pro football focus ratings so dax as of the 
uh, the initial grades for this game. Dax is now on the season the third highest grader on defense. And he right. and his grades have been very consistent. Yeah. Game by game. Yeah. He's been a very consistent player. And and we've talked about that before. I've said he's he's a much improved player, at least from that standpoint. What mm-hmm. the tech coaches who knows what the tech coaches think. But uh he just he seems less hesitant to me. Like he drilled one of one of their players, uh, I think, uh, on a on pass, pass play. Yeah. 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 So he had a sack early in the game. Then he had that big hit. So yeah, I mean, he's he's settled into that spot. Well, he's he's, he's playing full speed to me. Yeah, I'm I not sure so. I've ever seen that. Right. You know. Well, and you had a good tweet I want to say last night about a team a team's defense is really in its groove when the mic and the back are leading the team traditionally. In yeah. Traditionally, yeah. and that's what's happened with the Hokies right now. Yeah, they, so. they need to. They need to find a way to get more out of Tisdale because I don't. He's not playing up to his level of ability. So let me let me give the stats first. Um, and this this comes out of watching the Tech defense during the Hall and the DB years, and they were they were they were number one and two in tackles, and that hasn't that hasn't happened since 2017 here at Tech when uh, your boy Motu Motu and uh, Tremaine Edmonds were were the top two tacklers, and since then it has not been the Mike and the backer, but it currently is. I think Tisdale's 33 tackles and Dax is 30, and they're they're ahead of everybody else. Tisdale's a little concerning. He looks sluggish out there, and he has you know he had your... trouble catching that Richmond quarterback. Well, well his play. problem is he was hesitant. Like if you give an offensive player the initiative to juke you, and you're just standing there, he's going to juke you. Yeah. Um. Yeah. You, you have to you have to go attack him. Yeah, and 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 that's why he was unsuccessful on that play, in my opinion. It could be his mind's tying up his feet. But you, he's such a veteran at backer now. He's got so many reps at that position. He yeah. just, I I wanted him to add weight, and he got up to two twenty eight, and that's still like normal linebacker size. Yeah. It shouldn't be too much weight for him on right. a six three right. frame. That's not but he the but he looks slowish. He or slowish sluggish. He's he's looked and he's I thought his best game was against West Virginia, but generally speaking, he doesn't look as athletic as he did last year, and I don't I don't know why. Yeah. Um, but I still think he's got a high ceiling as a football player. But you, you you'd like to see him get that heading in the right direction right now. So we're 90 minutes in, dude. We've got to wrap this yep. up. Yep, we're going to wrap it up. Excited for all of that content coming up on TechSideline.com. That's going to do it for episode 194 of the Tech Sideline podcast, brought to you by the Southeast Regional Training Center. I'm your host, Jake Lyman. Across the way, Will Stewart. You can find him on Twitter, at WillStewartTSL. Chris Coleman, at ChrisColemanTSL. And he'll have all his articles out this week on TechSideline.com. Want to thank Malcolm Stewart behind the scenes. Always does a great job producing the show. And Nick Brown with some good insight from the fourth chair today. Also want to mention Jack. Brizendine behind the scenes is going to have the Tech Talk Live notes tonight. And tonight, Evan Hughes makes his debut hosting Tech Talk Live right. with Kenny Brooks yeah. and Mike Young. Ah. It, it's a basketball show tonight. Oh, it's it a bye week, yeah. 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 So Lays is not in town, I believe, and he gave Fuente the week off. So, yeah. Evan, maybe, maybe we should all show up and like get a background table and just haze <laughs> just Evan. I will, be, I will be there. So if you guys want to come, I'll have a table there. So yeah. Let's, so what do you say we knock off about 3 o'clock this afternoon and start drinking and just, <laughs> get, yeah, just get, go get, sit at the bar and really raise. Evan Hughes for his debut. Yeah, yeah you got to just ma- make sure he's focused in there. You can't let him have an easy first show. Well, that's going to do it for episode 194 of the Tech Sideline Podcast, recapping Richmond. Looking ahead to the bye week, we will be back on Wednesday with more bye week content here on the Tech Sideline Podcast. We hope you have a great start to your week, Hokies fans. We'll see you next time.